Well, good evening and welcome to our Good Friday Tenebrae service. Um, it is our privilege to worship with you on this Good Friday. But as you can probably tell, this is a little different of an environment than our normal worship experiences. You might first of all ask, what is a tenebrae service? And tenebrae is just a Latin word that means darkness. The reason we turn things dark is because the day Jesus died, the whole world turned dark from noon until 3 o'clock. And so in commemoration of that, when the light of the world was put to death and the world turned dark, we commemorate that in our worship tonight. Uh, during the service, we remember the seven phrases that Jesus spoke from the cross and have little devotional thoughts attached to each one of them along with a sermonette. As some of you saw our confession for tonight, you can either put your name or a sin you're struggling with or a sin and nail it to the cross and know that you're forgiven. Uh, during the service, as we go from light to darkness, at the very end, uh, we will have something called the strepitus. And that will be a loud sound that commemorates the closing of Jesus' tomb. And the final thing we bring in is the resurrection candle. Uh, something that reminds us that even on a very dark day, in somber moments, we always have hope. Because Jesus, though he dies, will rise again. And so this is uh, one of my favorite opportunities to worship. Uh, we call it Good Friday, but it is bittersweet. It is bitter because our friend and our Savior dies. But it is sweet because we finally see how much he loves us by the price that he paid. And I hope you see that tonight. I hope you see the reason why we call it good. As we join for worship, um, we're going to gather together now in prayer. And so you're invited to join with me in prayer. Heavenly Father, have mercy on us, your family, for whom our Savior Jesus was willing to be betrayed, be given over into the hands of the wicked, and suffer death upon the cross. Help us to see the gravity and weight of our sin, but also rejoice in its full and complete payment. Send your Holy Spirit as we worship you in this hour. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. You may remain seated as we sing our first song, How Deep the Father's Love for Us.
Have you ever thought or said, I could never forgive that? And I'm curious, what is your that? For parents, maybe it's those things that are done or said against a child, and I could never forgive that. For others, it is the hurts that weren't done once, but are repeated over and over, and it's so hard to continue to forgive that same thing, and I I could never forgive that again. Still, for others, there are things that are so deep, so hard, so tender, You don't even want to speak about them. It's the unspeakable that you could never forgive. That's the that. I remember when someone came to Amazing Love and we were having a spiritual conversation. And for this gentleman, he he never could understand how God could forgive murder. That was his that. He understood how God could forgive many other things, but murder, how? I consider this when we read the news of mass shootings in Atlanta and Colorado, in Boulder, where 10 lives were taken, and yes, there was mental illness, but does God really forgive that? Is that person able to go to heaven? I bring this up because Good Friday was filled with a lot of that. You have someone very close to him who betrays the Son of Man for money. You have another person who says, I will die with you rather than deny you, but then in front of a little girl says, I don't know the man. You have the soldiers who, yes, they were following orders, but it didn't make the pain hurt any less as they mocked him and flogged him and nailed him to the cross. You have the religious leaders as he's in his moment of pain mocking him, saying he saved others, but he cannot save himself. Yes, there was a lot of that on Good Friday. But it's for our comfort. Because God forgives our that. See, we get hung up on the sins of others, but really we all have something inside. Those evil thoughts that plague us. Those words we wish we didn't speak and hurt so so much. Those things we did that feel almost like a nightmare, that has to be part of someone else's life, but no, it is ours. And God shows up on Good Friday and says, I forgive that. But tonight we see the price. We see what justice takes. And so we consider this as we hear Jesus forgiving the soldiers, nailing him to the cross, our first lesson From Luke chapter 23. Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals. One on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. Says the powerful word of God. At this time, I invite you to stand, and we are just going to confess our sins together. Our Good Friday confession is on the screen. Heavenly Father, 
this evening there is no hiding. I cannot escape the fact that I am a sinner and all that my sins deserve. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry Jesus had to pay the debt I owed. I'm ashamed for all the times and ways I've tried to lighten the weight of my sin and how I process things. I ask for your mercy tonight and always in the precious name of Jesus. How awesome to know that just as Jesus interceded for that soldier, so he intercedes for us. In the book of Romans, it says this, Jesus died and he is the one who is at God's right hand interceding for us. He is the one that offers his sacrifice to a heavenly father and says, for this reason, forgive them. And that reason works. And so I tell you, your sins, they are forgiven. This in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. May remain standing as we sing our next song. Chains 
Please be seated. It seems out of all the stories on Good Friday, people remember the thief on the cross. They remember that he was the one previously mocking who has a change of heart. The one who at the very end of his life has a turnaround. And the thief is the point of one of Jesus' parables. He proves that it doesn't matter when you come to the faith, uh, what matters is that you came. He, he proves that, that those who find Jesus even at the very end will be saved. In fact, he has this parable about the workers in the field. And some were hired in the very beginning of the day and some at the last hour, but they all got paid the same. That was a picture of believers called to the faith, some all their life, some in the last hour. The thief is a picture of God's grace. He dies, he's crucified for something awful, and if God can forgive that, truly he can forgive us. But the thief is not a role model. It should not be our goal to say, well, I can do whatever I want because as long as I come around in the end, then God will still give me grace. See, grace is never a license for sin. I consider this when, in the book of Romans, it says this. Do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? Yes, God's kindness has a purpose. To illustrate his grace and to show us we're never too far off, but it is not to be abused. Yes, the thief is not a role model. We turn now and consider what Jesus said to that thief from Luke chapter 23. The people stood watching and the rulers even sneered at him. They said he saved others. Let him save himself if he's God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. What a powerful word. We continue with our next lesson. This has been a year of incredible isolation. I'm not sure if you were isolated for a week, for a month, Maybe after a year, you're finally coming out and uh, being around people once again. And it's interesting, the effect of isolation. Uh, some have called COVID a, a double pandemic because of what it has done, not only to our bodies, but to our mental health. To be lonely, to feel like no one is there for you, to feel like you can have no other contact is not how God made us. I consider this when we consider our next lesson in the plight of Mary. A mother's love is one of the most intimate relationships. 
A mother has almost a radar on her child and what the child is up to and how the child is feeling. I believe the phrase that you're only as happy as your saddest child and a mother knows what I'm talking about. And in this moment, Mary receives the fulfillment of a prophecy. When Jesus was presented in the temple, Simeon praised the baby but also told Mary that a sword would pierce her own soul. And in this moment, that sword is real. In this moment, she has to do the unthinkable, what no mom wants to do, which is watch her child die. And not just any death, a prolonged death, and watch him suffer. That sword is very real. And yet Jesus, in love, would not leave Mary alone. Jesus turns to her and assures her that she will have fellowship with someone that he enjoyed rich fellowship with, with John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, maybe one of Jesus' most intimate friends in this world. And so he provides for Mary, as he does for you and I. God has a heart for those who are isolated and feeling lonely. In the book of James, he says, a religion that is pure and faultless is the one that looks after the orphan and the fatherless. You consider Jesus who said, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. And even as he was ascending, he said, surely I will be with you always to the very end of the age. And so no matter your isolation this year, if you were in Jesus, you were never alone. But that fellowship came at a price. It meant that for a moment in time, Jesus would experience something we never have to, which is isolation from the Father. And yet it was a price he was willing to pay. We consider Jesus' love as we turn now to our next lesson, John chapter 19. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, Woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Powerful words of God. Something we do as Christian community, because we are not isolated, is we confess our faith. And for this Good Friday, our confession is the words um, of Luther for the explanation of the second article. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. What does this mean? I believe that Jesus Christ, true God, begotten of the Father from eternity, And also true man, born of the Virgin Mary, is my Lord. He has redeemed me, a lost and condemned creature, purchased and won me from all sins, from death and from the power of the devil, not with gold or silver, but with his holy precious blood and with his innocent suffering and death. This is most certainly true. So i got to tell you something I struggle with. I struggle when people say you deserve it. 
And I'll give you examples. Uh, you can go to Walgreens and find a Hallmark card when someone gets a promotion and, and it'll say, you know what, you deserved it, you earned it. The same kind of sentiments are sometimes given when someone goes on vacation and we know how hard you've been working, you deserve it. It's what we tell someone when they've saved up a lot of money and now they're able to buy that thing. They worked so hard and now the car is theirs, the house is theirs, the video game system, you deserve it. And I understand social etiquette. I understand what they're trying to say. They're trying to encourage, boy, you did it, way to go. I realize I don't have to take this hyper-literally or even theologically, and yet I struggle with the phrase, I deserve it. Because I know what I deserve. As someone who's walked in the Word for a while and has understood what our God says, I know exactly what I deserve. And Romans has declared it, that the wages of sin is death. And that's not just death in this life. This is death in hell forever. And hell is a real teaching. Jesus spoke more on hell than he did many other topics. A place where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. A place called Gehenna, a separation from the Father forever. Hell is a place where there can be no th nothing good because God, who is all good, is not there. It's interesting, in our circuit meeting this past month, the pastors got together and we kind of reflected that fire and brimstone preaching is kind of not in vogue anymore. Would you agree? No one comes to hear fire and brimstone. No. Make it light. Make it relatable. Make it happy. But our circuit pastor said something that I firmly believe. It is only the teaching of hell that can give us the true beauty of the love of Jesus. It is only when I go that deep and realize that to me as a sinner, I deserve not just some good, nothing good, when I realize I deserve the wrath of God, not only in this moment, but for eternity. And yet I get so much more. It's then that everything is in perspective. Because if I deserve hell, how good is my breakfast and the bed I sleep in? Because if I deserve hell, how good is the job I work at, even if I don't get paid what I want or appreciate it enough or fill in the blank? If I deserve hell, even though I experienced some loss this year during COVID, it still has nothing to do with what I truly deserved. We find ourselves like a prisoner released from solitary confinement and every day brings this beauty if we realize what we truly deserved. But again, the price. Jesus has to endure hell. Jesus has to experience what it is like to be separated from God and all of his goodness from his Father in these moments. An experience he's never had from all eternity. And he did that so that for the rest of your life, you never have to be treated as you deserve. 
You are never treated as you deserve. You are always treated so much better than you deserve. And so am I. We consider this as we turn to our next lesson. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Aloy, Aloy, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, wow, leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. The powerful word of God. We continue with our next song.
time we continue with the responsive reading of Isaiah 53. I'll read the unbold portions, and you're invited to join in the bold portions. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we consider him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. I don't know your experience with fasting. It's becoming more common with the idea of intermittent fasting, that being uh, for a health benefit. I know some have a Catholic background and maybe grew up uh, not eating meat on Fridays during Lent. Some in Lutheran circles may have uh, chosen something in their diet or something when it comes to social media. But, but I guess the question I have for you is, how much are you willing to endure? How, how long has that fast gone? What was it that you were willing to give up? What I find is that I'm pretty weak. Because it's not necessary, I give excuses on why I don't need to fast and I don't need to do this and that. After all, that would be legalism to require what God doesn't require, right? And while fasting for Lent or intermittent fasting, that, that's maybe okay, what about our suffering to be holy? Now that's something to go after. That, that's something to, to lean into. How much are you willing to endure to avoid temptation? The book of Hebrews calls out something that I think is still true. It says this, that in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. If we're honest, when it comes to what we endure, we're not willing to go very far in our pain before we say, no, I need an out. And then we look at Jesus. And Jesus who becomes human for us. So he knows exactly what it's like to go without. To go without food, to go without drink, to go without the companion of friends. He knows exactly what it's like to be tempted and to feel that burning and wondering, how long do I have to stand up under this? And yet he never gave in. The high priest tempted in every way and yet found without sin. See him battle for you. See him endure for you. See him accept pain and sacrifice for you. 
and know the love of God. We consider the humanity of Jesus through our next lesson. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished and so that Scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked it a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. We continue with our next song. Man of sorrows, Lamb of God, by his own betrayed, the sin of men and wrath of God has been on Jesus laid. Silent as he stood accused, beaten, mocked, and scorned, bowing to the Father's will, he took a crown of thorns. Oh, that rugged cross of my salvation, where your love poured out over Thee. 
to Thee. If you've ever completed a long work day, you know the good of being done. If you've ever uh, gotten to the end of a project that took months to fulfill, uh, whether at school or at work, you know the greatness of the completion. Maybe you've been at the end of a game and you stuck it out until the last quarter, the last inning, and you finally won. How great it is to be done. I wonder how excited Jesus was to be done. Jesus who knew the plan. Jesus who had to wait 33 years for it finally to be done. And yet here it is. He did it. And through one word to Telestai, he says, it is finished. And soon, as before he was giving up his power, he's going to take his power back. Soon, he will descend in hell to announce his triumph. Soon, he will rise from the dead. Soon, he will show his glory and it will be unmissable. I wonder how good it was for Jesus to say, it's done. How good for us to hear, it's done. We consider this as we turn to our next lesson. When he received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. We continue with our hymn, Stricken, Smitten, and Afflicted.
you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I just thank you for these moments where we get to worship we, where we get to worship you and hear your voice. It's a serious day. And Heavenly Father, I just think that a serious faith is a really good thing. In this world, there's not much we take serious, but if there's anything we could, help us to take serious our sin so that we don't rush into it, that we don't consider it a light thing to offend you and break your will. But Lord, help us also to take seriously the sacrifice and the forgiveness that has been won today so that we do not lead lives of despair, but rather lives of peace, knowing that we are still yours. Now bless the preaching of the word in Jesus' name. Amen. There are certain times in life where your best is just not good enough. I consider this as I was looking at the Olympics that are going to happen in Tokyo. And the United States of America, never known for having a good soccer team, once again, the USA men's team does not qualify for the Olympics. It's pretty bad. Your best is not good enough sometimes when it comes to a class and a professor, and, and you can rack your brain and stay up all night and try your hardest, and you still don't make the grade, and you still don't make the class, and you, you, your best just ain't good enough. This happens financially when you save money and you try to budget, and at one point or another, the bank says, you know what, you didn't have enough. You don't want to see that. I bring up the idea of something insufficient or inadequate because in the Old Testament, they kept doing something over and over that was never enough. In the Old Testament, they sacrificed day after day after day. I want to take you back just a little bit. Their big celebration was the Day of Atonement. And on that day, the priest would confess all the sins, put it on a goat, they would send the goat away, and some would say, kick it off a cliff for it never to return. The only problem is they had to do this year after year after year. In one sense, the goat always came back. I was doing more research on what it was to worship in that day, and at the temple, every day, two lambs were sacrificed. One in the morning and one at night, along with the grain offering and the drink offering. Then they had weekly sacrifices. Two more lambs were required on the Sabbath, so now you had four. Then you had monthly offerings. And on those days, it was seven lambs, two young bulls and goats. And they did this year after year, all these sacrifices. In fact, I was doing some research on the greatest sacrifice, one of the biggest ones, and I found at the dedication of the temple, look at what was sacrificed. Solomon offered a sacrifice of fellowship to the Lord. 22,000 cattle and 120,000 sheep and goats. 144 animals were killed in sacrifice for sin. And it's like they had these Good Friday moments every time they worshipped because every time they worshipped, they understood and they got my sin deserves sacrifice. My sin deserves blood to cover it. That's the picture when it comes to God. But there was only one problem with this. And that's that it was inadequate. It was insufficient to make up 
for any sin. In fact, that's what the writer of the Hebrews says when he wrote this, that it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. What might we offer God? What are you tempted to offer God? Probably not a bull or a goat, but maybe something. God, don't you know who I am? I'm Pastor Bloomer, dedicated my life to serving you. Surely that's enough. God, don't you know what I did? I served you this week. I was a volunteer. I was faithful. I, I did that for you. And it's good to do those things. It's good to serve the Lord. But can they atone for sin? It doesn't come close. We consider this as on Good Friday, our lesson today comes from the writer of the Hebrews. And that writer is speaking to a Jewish audience who is trying to tie the Old Testament Christians to the new covenant that is founded in Jesus Christ and him alone. And he has some beautiful corollaries that I wanted to just show you tonight. And so that lesson. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Otherwise, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshipers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings, you were not pleased. But then I said, here I am. And it's written about me in the scroll, I have come to do your will, my God. First he said, sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, though they were offered in accordance with the law. And then he said, here I am, I have come to do your will. He sets aside the first to establish the second. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Powerful words. I want to pick them apart just a little bit in our time together. You know, it's interesting with kids that sometimes they can hope so much that hope leads them to believe it's enough. I don't know if you remember your first experience with kids and money. And they look at the money they have and, and they're hoping that it will be enough for that. Do you know the that? 
And they don't estimate how much that costs. All they know is they have a dollar. And they're hoping that stuffed animal costs a dollar. It's the same experience you get when you get a little older and you want a car. And you're hoping with the measly money you've scrounged up, maybe you call it $2,000, that you can go and get the Aston Martin. 2000s enough, right? It's what we see all the time with home buyers. And why do we laugh and scoff at new home buyers? Because they don't have any money, and yet they want everything. It doesn't work that way. We hope and hope, but sometimes our hope is not enough. I bring up this concept because, spiritually speaking, in order to appease God, because we all feel like we have to do something to appease him, we are hoping that what we offer him is enough. We, we are hoping that he looks at the collection of what we got as a life record, and maybe he's blind to some of the stuff we did, but says, in general, that was okay. And we're hoping that he sees our good intentions. Because, yeah, we can never fulfill everything, but we had a good heart about it. We're hoping that we are known by our best days. And that's what the angels and what he recognizes are our best days, but, but not our worst. And sometimes we use this hope for our own salvation. There are many people who still hope, Lord, I hope I am good enough to be right with you. But did you hear the words of the lesson? When we hope to offer our righteousness, it is like that little kid with a dollar hoping they can buy that $20 stuffed animal. It is that 16-year-old who hopes that $2,000 will buy him a supercar. And while those illustrations are cute, actually when it comes to the Word of God, he is cutting about this concept. In fact, I would have you consider the words of the prophet Isaiah who said this, that all of us have become like one who is unclean, and our righteous acts that we would present before the Lord and say, look, isn't this good, isn't this beautiful? They're a filthy cloth. They're disgusting. I consider the words of the hymn we just sang, stricken, smitten, and afflicted. They're words that are so deep and rich. It says, If you think of sin but lightly, nor suppose the evil great, here you see its nature rightly, here its guilt may estimate. Mark the sacrifice appointed. See who bears the awful load. Tis the word, the Lord's anointed, Son of man and Son of God. And perhaps... Perhaps this explains this imagery of why Jesus went on a rampage against the Pharisees in the New Testament. Do you remember how angry he got with them? I mean, he would go off and call them a brood of vipers and basically say, you're not fit for the kingdom. It's not the healthy that need a doctor but the sick, and I have come for the sick, a.k.a. I didn't come for you. And why was that? 
because the Pharisees over and over went to God with what was filthy cloths and said, isn't it beautiful? Isn't it good enough? Isn't it great? And what about us? Let's just imagine it could work. If me as pastor and you and Christian could be enough, if we could give enough, if Solomon's offering was enough, if, if all it took was 144,000 cattle or a lot of good works, if it were enough, then why are we here? And why is there Good Friday if you and I could be good enough? Why don't we yell out from the crowd, Jesus, come down, because, by the way, we're good without you. Why not spare Jesus of the agony if you and I could be good enough? But the resounding answer is this, we have never been good enough. But he was. And so let us not mock the cross and mock Good Friday by thinking we could offer something when there was only one sacrifice that was truly good enough. There's this beautiful passage that we just considered. In Hebrews it says, And by that will we have been made holy through the sacrifice of Jesus' body once and for all. It reminded me of imagining a worship space. And I know you can all read this once for all, but on the counter, the altar, it says, We have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. And this is our visual and our reminder that we've stopped bringing bulls and goats, and I'm glad about that, but we've also stopped bringing this idea that I was good or that I deserve something from God. We cling to the cross and we just say, Jesus, you need to do it. And here's the good news. The cross covers all. There is nothing you could do or have done that he didn't pay for on this day. But here's also the crystal clear truth. The cross has to cover it. It's the only thing that could. And if you think that anything else can, it mocks the sacrifice of Jesus Christ like none other. And you are in error of potentially missing salvation. Let me say it again. The cross covers all, but the cross has to cover it all. There is no other solution. And there are two profound implications of this. You know, something that we do as people is we look at things that are works in progress. I consider this as it took me 40 minutes to get here today because I saw what is very common this time in Illinois. Road construction. The roads are always works in progress because of winter. We consider this when it comes to our life as humans. We are always works in progress, aren't we? We're always trying to get a little bit better day by day and yet falling short. And yet tonight's message tells us of something completed. First of all, Jesus said to tell us die. 
And what was completed was salvation. If someone asks you when you were saved, you could say 2,000 years ago when Jesus paid the price and forgave my sins. Your salvation is a done deal. And there's nothing you can take away from it and there's nothing you can add to it because of Jesus Christ. But there is also something that has been completed besides that. Look what it says also. For by one sacrifice He has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. What has been made perfect forever? You. Even in the midst of being made holy, even in the midst of you being a work in progress, yet your heavenly Father says, no, when, when I look at you, what I see is perfect. I have made it so. And the transcendent peace of that that the cross covers all, and the cross has to cover it all, but it did. And it even covers me. And it has taken my filthy robes, and it's made them white. And this was beautifully illustrated in this picture I saw this week once again. That Jesus with the cross, do you see what happens? He takes my clothes, becomes the curse of sin, and I am now left white. And that is what you are. I don't know how far you're getting as a work in progress, but this I will proclaim to you on Good Friday. You have been made perfect. You are wearing what that man wears. How beautiful the sacrifice of Jesus. Only he could do this for you, and he has. Amen. At this time, we have the opportunity to pray together. And today we'll use the words of the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. And so our final lesson. You know what I find interesting is that if anyone ever had a reason to be afraid, was it not Jesus? When we consider Holy Week and everything he knows that is coming, when he considers the, the flogging and the beatings, when he considers the court and the trial, he had enough reason to be afraid. And yet, was he? Overwhelmed, sure. We see that in the Garden of Gethsemane, where he even sweat drops of blood as he knew what was coming. Sorrowful, sure, as he was forsaken by his father, but fearful. That's not what I see when he's on court trial and says, I am the Son of God. It's not what I see when before Pontius Pilate he says, I am a king. 
It's not what we see when he willingly goes. Because his faith is made perfect. And I don't believe a perfect faith has fear in it. And so he comes to the point of his death. Is he afraid? He has peace. He knows. And this kind of peace past fear has transcended to other Christians. It's to a Christian who knows by the strength of God they can go and do that thing that seems so fearful for other people. And how can you do it? Well, I know God is with me. It is for Christians at time of death who have a sense of peace. And this was actually observed throughout history when Christians in the Colosseum were known for their fearlessness while even facing death because they know the one to whom they were going. The beautiful reality about our faith is that we don't need to fear anything, even death. And we see this as Jesus dies. We see he knows where his soul is going. We turn to our last reading for this Good Friday. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. The centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, Surely this was a righteous man. When all the people who had gathered to witness the sight saw what took place, they beat their breasts and went away. But all who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. The powerful word of God. We continue with the last verse of stricken, smitten, and afflicted.